From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Hello, Heather Knight. Welcome back to the big event. Thanks for joining me in the intro. We're not riding any buses today. Thank God. Uh, we are talking, though, about San Francisco inducting the film Milk in the SF Cinema Greatest of All Time. Do you remember seeing this film for the first time? Yes, it was out 10 years ago, and I remember seeing it then, but hadn't watched it until you asked me to rewatch it the other day so we could talk about it. Here's Sean Penn as Harvey Milk giving the speech of his life on the steps of San Francisco City Hall, moments after receiving a postcard telling him he'll take a bullet if he speaks in the microphone. One of many inspiring moments in the film, and we're joined today by Audrey Cooper. That would be Chronicle Editor-in-Chief Audrey Cooper. I, I've wanted to have Audrey on for a while. She spends her spare time leading history tours with city guides, and she comes well-prepared. She watched films other than Milk to get ready. Yeah, as you'll hear, we have quite a disagreement over Sister Act. Yeah, we, we get into it about Sister Act. Um, but it's Harvey Milk Day, officially naming Milk one of the greatest SF movies I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Welcome to The Big Event, Heather Knight and Audrey Cooper. Yay. Your, your first trip down here. I'm so scared. Why are you scared? <laughs> I'm scared that people, cool people listen to your podcast, and I'm going to be finally outed as not cool. So we might as well get it on with. But you're my boss. Yeah, so therefore. you shouldn't be scared. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll take your word for it. Heather, welcome back. Thank you. I'm not scared. We're going to get to Milk, 2008 movie. Uh, the Chronicle is in it. It's one of the several movies where The Chronicle actually appears, which is always special to me on these podcasts. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit, Audrey. We've been doing these movie podcasts, and I haven't had someone who I can talk to from a position of maybe seeing some San Francisco movies before they came to San Francisco. So I wanted to get your San Francisco movie history, if you saw San Francisco movies before you came here, and uh, if you remember them. Let's see. So I moved here in 1999. So I I think I The Rock came out before then, right? Yeah. So I saw The Rock. And I also saw, so I married an axe murderer, which I'm very, <laughs> I love that I'm movie. so disappointed that you have not mentioned, so I married an axe murderer on any of these films. Uh, we any need of to these inaugurate podcasts. that one. We, we can yeah. actually, we're going to have a nomination period later. So you'll be able to nominate, so I married an axe murderer. Okay. Filmed over by like, uh, whose desk? By where Barry sits? Yeah, where Barry sits now. And, um, and also at Fog City Diner. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a lot of, you know, and also it's a great movie, but. But I'm wondering, like, when you were a kid, were you informed 
about San Francisco by TV, movies, books? No, I mean, I guess I saw Full House as a kid. <laughs> but um, the first thing I remember about San Francisco was coming here. It was my first family vacation because our family, you know, we didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up. So, and I grew up in Kansas City. So our family vacations were usually dragging me into the backseat of my parents car with my brother and driving to Colorado which is the worst drive across Kansas is the like it's my idea of hell and why I do not ski to this day because I am scared <laughs> of being near mountains because I associate it with being in the backseat of the car with my brother so we came to San Francisco and I saw Chinatown for the first time, which, you know, for a kid from Kansas is amazing. And I saw my first homeless person I had ever seen in my life. And we also saw Hearst Castle on that trip. So there were like many <laughs> formative things in that Foreshadowing trip. your career. Yeah, that foreshadowed where I would be now. I, I've seen you at like luncheons and, and, and uh, situations like that. And you are not just a huge advocate for the Chronicle. You are a huge advocate for San Francisco. Did you immediately fall in love with the place? Was it something that just grabbed you right away? Yeah, because if you're a kid from Kansas, to live in a place where people want to visit is like the most magical thing in the world, I think. And San Francisco's history is so fascinating. It is so unique on the planet, really. I mean, it's the only city that literally not only rose from the ashes, uh, which it did several times after burning down, but it started as nothingsburg with just 400 people like the amount of people who live in one of these downtown apartment buildings now is the whole city until the gold rush and then over the course of one year you have the largest peacetime migration of people still in world history and it just it's it no other city in the world's created like that and it's still what happened to us during the gold rush is still informing the vibe of san francisco now and i think you don't really know where you're going unless you know where you've come from and so I, I just love history. Plus, I mean, here we are in the archive. We are literally staring at the first draft of history. So I'm fascinated by the first draft of history and the second draft <laughs> and the third draft and all the drafts after it. City guides. Yeah. You are a city guide? Still, still I am guiding? Still, I am still guiding, yes. I have an upcoming uh, tour of North Beach by night and the hate this summer, so people can come on our tour. City Guides is, is an amazing organization. It's 300 volunteer guides who give free historical walking tours of the city. And the first tour I took was of the financial district. And I just, like, first of all, being an extrovert and talking to people <laughs> about history is like totally up my alley. But you also get to brag about the city and all the amazing things that make it a wonderful place to live. So City Guides is the best. I, you know, we're not supposed to have biases as journalists or at least profess them, but I totally do for City Guides. I just think it's wonderful. Do people recognize you or do you introduce yourself as Audrey you Cooper, <laughs> editor in chief of the Chronicle? I used to. And um, and I also used to have my name on the tours long in advance, and I started getting some fans that would come, and they'd only want to talk about the news, and it would get really distracting. And then, I mean, this is kind of a bummer, but we also get some sketchy emails at work from people who are, are not fans. So I decided for both, you know, keeping it fun for me and also safety reasons frankly to not be quite so public about it in advance but yeah so you know I give I give three tours the Tate the hate um, North Beach at night and the east end of Golden Gate Park and 
I started giving the hate tour when when Sit Lie was like mm. really hot and heavy. So how do you not talk about the news and why you're interested in the news when you're walking around the hate? It's just impossible. Can you give me a little bit of the hate tour right now? So let's say oh. can I, I can set the scene for you or you can just pick a place in the hate. OK. Uh, oh, God. There's so many great places in the hate. So the the amazing thing about the hate is it. It was all sand dunes when San Francisco was booming. And San Francisco likes to think of itself as like the New York of the West Coast, which makes New Yorkers laugh, but we think is like <laughs> a totally legit point. And the development of the hate starts in around 1870 when they start to design Golden Gate Park because Central Park had just been created and we wanted to have everything that New York had. And so voila, you have a city, a city neighborhood that starts to get born because it was a place where people would come to recreate and get fresh country air. Like, that's not what you think of the hates air when you go there now, but it used fresh to be. Fresh country air. Yeah, it used to be the the party spot for the weekend. And, um, you know, and then I'll just cut to the end of that punchline is, it, you know, basically you can compare Central Park and Golden Gate Park and say which one is better. But at the end, Central Park is about 800 acres and Golden Gate Park is 1,000 plus some. So at least we're bigger than New York. <laughs> well, I, I have a second to last city guide question for you. I feel like digging through the archive here that um, everything at one point or another was a brothel. Yeah, is totally. That true? Oh, absolutely. In fact, in the North Beach at night tour, everything was a brothel or a speakeasy. And I had a tour once where I explained, and this was a brothel, and this was a speakeasy, and this was a speakeasy. And at the end of the tour, this guide came, this this guy who was on the walk came up and said, "I really enjoyed your tour, but can you tell me what a bordello is?" And I thought, oh. God, how much of that tour did you not understand at all? <laughs> Probably a lot. Well, this is a podcast of awkward segues, so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do one right now. Um, City guides, uh, movie locations. Mm -hmm. How big of a deal is that with with you? And are you constantly walking by places and seeing? Oh, that's where that was shot. Yeah. So in in, in North Beach, sometimes we go by the Mrs. Doubtfire apartment where her like face falls out onto the garbage truck that's in there um there's a city guide tour just on alfred hitchcock's uh san francisco so they go all over the you know various places mostly up on knob hill and and places like that and um yeah i mean movie look that's what all the tourists want to see is the movie locations that and where janice joplin lived cool milk boom segue <laughs> um we all watched Milk, correct? Yes. 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 And I, I just, we're going to launch into it, get into some details. Um, we have a lot of facts that I'm betting a lot of our listeners don't know. I went through the Chronicle. Um, but I wanted to get just a sentence or two what you think about Milk. This is the SF cinema greatest of all time. So we're inducting it in a hall of fame of sorts. But that doesn't mean you can't have criticisms too. Heather, thoughts on Milk? I remember watching it when it came out about 10 years ago, but I hadn't watched it again until you asked me to be on this podcast. So I watched it the other day, and I was just as fascinated as the first time. Um, I just think the history of the city is so interesting, and working inside City Hall makes it all the more interesting to see you know, my wider office reflected on screen and a lot of people that I know in person you know, characterize in a movie. It was a lot of fun to watch. Cool. Audrey? 
opening I, thoughts. You milk. know, I feel the way about watching Milk like I do about reading Tales of the City sometimes. It's like, it's amazing to see the city that you recognize, but also in clearly a different time and place and all the things that have changed and the things that haven't changed. Like when Harvey Milk's talking about what's the number one issue in the city that we should deal with and they say the urine smell and the tenderloin and then people say the dog poop in Dolores Park and I just think god some, some things don't change very much at all. Supervisor Milk took to the grassy lawn at Dubois Park this afternoon to publicize the new law. Dog mess is a hazard on top of that it's disgusting so under the new ordinance all dog owners who don't clean up their mess will be fine. Milk put his foot down to emphasize that the city intends to enforce and you guessed it in Supervisor Milk's words this really is the bottom line. Um, but you know I, I think overall it, it's an homage to a point in time and what I really like about the movie the most though and I mentioned to this this to you Peter was I like that it doesn't overly romanticize San Francisco. You know, too many movies are like, it's not in San Francisco unless there's a cable car in it or a view of the Golden Gate Bridge. And, you know, like I go sometimes months in the city without seeing either one of those things. And to, to me, milk is really like the San Francisco that those of us who live here know. You know, and I agree with both of you. I think adding to that... Um, I think one of the strengths of the film is, as a film, it was a relatively low-budgeted film, and it gets into the weeds, I think, in a good way. Um, it almost deliberately passes by what you expect it to be. Example, our iconic photo, the most iconic image of uh, Harvey Milk holding the I am from Woodmere, New York sign going down the middle of Market Street and the 1978 Gay Pride Parade is not in the film. Mm -hmm. That that parade is in the film, but that image is not. And I think they deliberately uh, wanted to go in some directions that would tell a different story than what people were expecting. And as filmmakers, there's a piece of me that's like, how did this even get made? Um, you know, it got a wide distribution. It ended up making its money back and, and getting Academy Awards. But I wonder the first time and the second time I watched it, like how did this even get made? Because as a film, it doesn't check any of the boxes that you see, even of an Oscar style biopic. So um, my opening thoughts on Milk. Um, production is a 2008 film, Gus Van Sant, uh, drugstore cowboy. He's done some indies. He's done some more mainstream films. And um, he gets together, he's later in his career, gets together with Dustin Lance Black, who's in his 20s, who writes the screenplay. Um, but that was the second version of Milk. I don't know if you guys dug into any of this, but this movie had been around in some form since 1990. Uh, early version, do you no. know who the actor was they were pushing? Who? Robin Williams. Oh, yeah. that would have been a good local tie. Randy Schultz, Chronicle uh, reporter. Uh, reporter. Yeah. Thank mm -hmm. you. He he had uh, uh, done incredible work during the AIDS crisis and had written the Harvey Milk uh, biography and was trying to get his movie made. And we have 1990s stories constantly talking about the production of this film. Randy Schultz, when he was alive, was um, always 
talking about where it was at. Uh, and Robin Williams was tied to it often. Oliver Stone was tied to it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That so, would have been a crazy a match. conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. So Oliver Stone, Randy Schultz. It wasn't really Williams. Dan White at <laughs> <Yeah>. City Hall. <laughs> What uh, happened to those earlier versions? That's the kind of tragic part to a degree, depending on how you look at it. That version was passed around. Um, it was based on the Randy Schultz book license up until 2008. And then Sean Penn and his group comes in kind of out of nowhere. And you have these two competing milks trying to get off the ground. Penn gets financing and then the other people, and they're quoted in the Chronicle saying they were absolutely devastated because they thought they were close. Now, they had been going for 18 years. So, I don't <laughs> so feel, close. I don't feel too bad <laughs> close to graduating. Um, but yeah, that's a story behind Milk. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys what you thought worked with it, what, your, what you thought the positives were. And uh, Heather, you work in City Hall, mm-hmm. so I'm betting you saw a lot of things that, uh, that I don't see. Um, I remember when it came out and then watching it again, loving the scene where he walks up the grand staircase and says, you should always take the stairs. And I work in that building. and I always take the stairs, too. I confess I sometimes don't, but (laughs) they are beautiful. They're always filled with brides, and so I just feel like I'm always getting in the way of their photographs. But um, just the loveliness of the building struck me seeing it on screen. And I agree with you, Audrey, that it didn't show all the stereotypical parts of San Francisco. And I really love the um, scenes in the Castro and seeing how that was at the time and you know we know this but seeing it how you know a brand new kid who just arrived from nowheresville could come here with very little money in his pocket and not knowing anybody and and make it and i just feel like that's been lost today i mean it's so hard to for anybody to find a place to live in san francisco and it was neat to see how so many people could come here during that time and we're encouraged to do so by harvey yeah, I think, you know, it, it's it's important to me the time that it was made. I mean, 2008, we were still having fights over same-sex marriage. It was really, I think, a cultural turning point to have this movie. And Milk was so not a um, mainstream character, you know? I mean, he was really of the Castro at that time. He wasn't gay but seemed straight he was he was he was full-on you know gay and mayor of castro street and i just think for the time it's also really important to think about what that meant for san francisco i mean the thing i like about this movie is you can get a lot out of it if you're a san franciscan but you can also get a lot of out of it if you've never been here before you know there was a he talks about in some of the earlier tapes about how the hate was all boarded up because the hate was coming out of the summer of love and it was depressed and it was really a neighborhood in despair. So a lot of people move into the Castro and that's how countercultures in San Francisco have moved throughout the city. It was North beach and then it was the hate and then it was the Castro. And, and then you see what, the change of having district elections does to recognize the city that is still a city of tribes, which I think, you know, I, I like seeing on stage or on film, but you could also just look at it, you know, through the lens of gay rights nationally and be totally fine with it. I think the decision was made and it was a smart decision um, to film it in a really tight time frame. So he's in New York for about five seconds and then you show him arriving in San Francisco, which is such a you know, important thing for a lot of people when they came to San Francisco and how they felt. And then it captures that. And then the film ends, spoiler, I'm sure you've had since (laughs) 2008. So anybody listening to this has seen the film. 
um, it ends uh, before the trial. There's no Twinkie defense. Right. And I'm sure there are people who are going to this movie thinking, you know, when are we going to see the Twinkie defense? And then it ends right there, um, which to a degree, it's Dan White's story, too. But th- that makes it Harvey Milk's story. Um, and I think it allows to focus on the things you just said, Audrey, which is it shows what's unique about this area. Well, it's the story it's his story, it's the Castro story, but it's also that cast of characters that he surrounded himself with, like Anne and Cleve, and all of these people who are still a part of San Francisco politics and are still revered and are still doing the pink triangle, you know, happy pride everywhere. You know, Cleve's going to be at the pink triangle celebration. And they were, you know, even though Harvey was assassinated this next generation was born out of that and then you know the thing that you know watching this movie that's hovering over it is AIDS is coming and it's going to decimate this neighborhood just like a depression decimated the hate and just like gentrification decimated North Beach and except in such a much more profound and human way so I I feel like it it ends and you know what happens next and it causes you to think about those things in a different way. Mm-hmm. That was too deep, huh? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm thinking. Uh, Heather, you work in City Hall. Were there things other than the stairway that just you thought they got right? And, and not just with the physical City Hall, but the way that City Hall works. Uh, yeah, I thought the depictions of the Board of Supervisors meetings were very accurate. <laughs> um, <laughs> where, and the way everybody's finagling behind the scenes to get each other's votes at the last minute, and you still don't know if you can count on those votes or not. Um, Looks-wise, it's different now than it was because you see when he is shot in his office that the offices of the supervisors back then were very plain Jane, um, not fancy at all, just kind of glorified cubicles. And um, now they each have their own very big offices where their aides work and they're very lush, and that's because of the remodel of City Hall that Willie Brown did. Um, So they have a much better (laughs) workplace now. Yeah, I think that from the physicality of it, I thought they underplayed how beautiful the mayor's office is, for one thing. But Mm -hmm. I also have to say that that basement window that Dan White comes through, every time I'm in the basement of City Hall, I think about it. Like, it it almost, I can't go down there because it just creeps me out because you can kind of, I just feel Dan White walking through and sneaking into City Hall every time I'm down there. Yeah, and I remember that scene where they... Uh, Harvey Milk and Dan White meet each other in one of those big halls was very striking as well. You know, those huge granite tiled floors and the whole thing looked very accurate to me. Yeah, little side detail that I found in the Chronicle, our um, coverage when it came out, is that Gavin Newsom uh, offered them up his his, uh, office, which is, I believe, the place where Moscone was killed. Mm -hmm. He was killed in the back room of his office. So the mayor works in room 200 in a really big office with a huge wooden desk. And then there's a little ante room where it happened. Yeah. And the producer's response was, you're much better off using that office for city business. That's what the producer said, at least, that he turned Gavin Newsom's offer down. So I believe they built it on a soundstage in L.A., which is what little detour. That's what they did with the Chronicle and Zodiac. Yeah, it still kind of looks like the Chronicle, though. I mean, it doesn't look exactly like it, but you know, one of the, the okay, I'll I'll take you on a further detour. One of the strangest experiences I've ever had in the newsroom. I I came in at like seven a.m. one morning. I don't know why, but 
I there there's this group of people walking through the newsroom and I turn around and it's uh, Steven Soderbergh and they were scouting out locations to film Cont- Contagion and they were looking for the dirtiest reporter desk and it obviously took them a while while because you all have nasty desks <laughs> <laughs> that are piled high with paper and they finally picked Benny's desk to film it but really? yeah yeah I wouldn't have thought no he was walking through himself I swear I, I thought I'd be in the top 10. <laughs> well, yours is back in that corner and all dark. Benny's is a disaster and out in the middle of everything. Yeah, but the contagions, it's like <laughs> Don and I, Don Asmussen and I share a, it's not an office, it's an it's alcove. It's like a cave. <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, but it is like a Petri dish type of place. I would think a um, little bit of a, they're all petri dishes of their own. A little bit own. of a detour here, but I think if a contagion is going to start in the Chronicle, where we're sitting is probably <laughs> high up there. Yeah, we have the dead people come down here. here. Yeah, where we should have a poll. Where would a contagion most likely break out? Well, contagion. I'm thinking that back uh, food storage area. But that's just me. We can nominate contagion, and that can be that can be that had a little bit of San Francisco <laughs> in it. So, um, I wanted to with milk just give credit for a lot of the little details. You watch a San Francisco movie as a San Franciscan and you're cataloging all the things they get wrong. You're cataloging all the cliches. Um, They spent a lot of time. I looked back in our coverage. Cleve Jones was like on the set constantly. Um, Little things like Art Agnes is in the film for 14 seconds, 18 seconds. I did not think that actor looked like Art Agnes Not at all. even a little bit. <laughs> he did not, but that was extremely, apparently, historically accurate. <laughs> Can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to licking you in the polls. <laughs> you know, Harv, your whole raps are real down. You talk a lot about what you're against, but what are you for? In this town, you got to give them a reason for optimism, or you're cooked. Yeah, I was going to say, when I started watching that again, and Art, who I didn't know the first time I saw the movie, but I do now. Um, hi, Mayor. Um, when when he came on, I was like, oh, they're going to make him seem like a, like a gruff politician. And they didn't. Like, I thought it was actually, it seemed like Art, you know, because he's kind of, he's a nice guy and playful, but also, you know, hard when you start talking about real issues. I thought they had him down pretty good. Not the look. But maybe the attitude. They got his driving down, though, right, Heather? (laughs) Art was a celebrity chauffeur on Total Muni 2018, which anybody who listens to this podcast, it's it's been like every other podcast for the last (laughs) year. So so shout out to Art Agnes. Um, Other thoughts, other things you guys liked? I thought it was interesting to see the real black and white clip where Diane Feinstein announces to a gathering of reporters what has just happened and um, to see that happen, you know, not reenacted, but actually the way it happened was um, fascinating. And she was very calm, but obviously very, you know, shocked as well. And then you can hear um, reporters just shouting, oh, my God. And just the shock of that event um, playing out before your eyes was really interesting. Yeah. You know, I thought about that when um, when when Mayor Lee died at 2 a.m. in the morning and like the worst thing you can be told as a reporter is this I mean as anyone I think they were they were all sad deaths but I kept the nightmare Lee died and into the morning I kept thinking back on that scene and thinking you know we like I said before we we do the first draft of history and that scene now with Feinstein is so iconic and what's it going to be of this point in time that is that 
event and and who knows we won't know for years Mm -hmm. another little side note sorry little milk production note um i've got a few of these diane feinstein was a major role in the film and was mostly cut out her most like biggest scene in the film she's blurred and the chronicle not knowing that this was going to happen did a big profile in our Sunday Pink milk package on the actress who plays Diane Feinstein. Oh, no. And then she was basically cut out of the film. I wonder why. So, um, I don't know, but it was... Oh, they had her hair down. Yeah. It was odd, yeah. I, I wanted to, from a filmmaking point of view again, $20 million budget, I thought they did such an excellent job of integrating newsreels and historic elements to it in a pretty seamless way. Um, But Anita Bryant, there's Mm. no actress who plays Anita Bryant. She's the villain of the piece, if there is one. And they capture her and get her weaved into the plot entirely with newsreels, which I thought, that's a filmmaking achievement. It's one of those things where you don't notice it, which means they're doing their jobs. But watching it a second time, I'm looking on Wikipedia for who played Anita Bryant. It's like, oh, wait, she was entirely in newsreels. Yeah, and it makes it seem so much more insidious to see the real Anita Bryant and what she looked like and how positive she was about talking about, you know, getting gay teachers out of the schools and how, you know, you can just see this point in time where people would just be sort of mesmerized by that and how scary it must have been to people in the Castro, including... um, former politician Tom Amiano, who makes a cameo in it, too, um, protesting the because he was a teacher at the time who was going to lose his job. Yeah, I didn't realize she had such a like sing-songy voice and pretty face and big smile and just seemed very like a Stepford wife almost. Yeah, I thought I agree with you, Peter, that using her real news footage was really effective. Yeah. Um, Another little detail, which makes me feel better about San Francisco, um, Castro really rallied around this film. And in a lot of cases, people who had storefronts were willing to empty their storefront for days at a time, including the, the, the current, camera shop. current, yeah, the current occupant of the camera shop um, where Harvey Milk set up his first mm-hmm. business or only business. They cleared it out entirely and rebuilt it as a camera shop for several scenes for weeks. And apparently there was a lot of just really welcoming feelings, which doesn't always happen with films that are shot in San Francisco. You hear the stories of people blackmailing film sets, not clearing out their... um, Totally. When Ant-Man filmed in my neighborhood, I was irritated. I will fully admit that I was not down with that. Did you honk your horn? I, you know, I I definitely complained about the detours for a little while. Yeah. Did you get to meet Paul Rudd? No, but you know, we went to the same high school. Really? He, He was about five years ahead of me, but yeah. Go Vikings. All right. All right. I really like seeing how the Castro back then looks very similar to the Castro now, and they've preserved it so well with the theater and the sign and um, just that iconic corner at Castro and Market. And you can definitely tell it's the same place. So I want to talk about what didn't work. Um, I have a couple little criticisms, but uh, I wanted to ask you guys first. Watching it again, watching it again, you're seeing it a second time. Were there things you didn't like, things that didn't quite work from a San Francisco point of view? Yeah, I mean, okay, I'm gonna. this is where the hate mail comes in. It's a cooper at sfchronicle.com. <laughs> Sean Penn. I mean, maybe it's just my journalistic bias because he is 
such a bad journalist and should stay out of it and stay acting. But I can't, you know, you said this to me, Peter, but I, I find him so distracting because of everything we know about Sean Penn that I almost wish they had picked somebody that was a no-name talented actor. So that's my controversial con- contribution to this podcast. Heather, Sean Penn thoughts. I didn't mind him really. Um, I thought he did well. Um, I kind of wanted more um, George Moscone and uh, his office. We've already said this, but that didn't look at all like the mayor's office. And that kind of stuck out for me. And I also wanted more of a ending. Like it, we, um, I wanted to a little bit more about the Dan White trial and um, how it affected the community. It just, it felt like it cut off really abruptly and then told the rest of the story in just words on the screen. I, Sean Penn, I agree with you. I've had interactions with him. Um, I'll say this, the one that I always retweet whenever he's in the news, I bring up the nasty letter that he sent me, and um, it was over a column that I wrote, and it was in the Phil Bronstein era, and he was more mad at Phil than at me, but it was about his friendship with Hugo Sh- Hugo Chavez, the Venezuelan. I called him a dictator, and he he <laughs> took issue with the fact that I called him a dictator. Um, it's fake news, Peter. Fake news, but I'll say this, I wrote a... a his brother Chris Penn died within a year of this nasty letter he sent me. Um, his brother Chris Penn died. I thought Chris Penn was such a great actor. He was in Footloose and Reservoir Dogs. He was this wonderful character actor. And all of the obituaries said Sean Penn's brother dies. And I wrote like, this isn't Sean Penn's brother. He's got his own career. And I wrote his, I think it was an appreciation, not an obituary. And he left me like this three minute long positive message. So, I mean, he called it both ways. A lot of people don't do that, you know. When he when he That's had true. a when he had a problem, he let me know. When he liked something, he let me know. So, I don't I don't have any. Beef I wonder with Sean what Penn. I wonder what non journalists would say about this though, because I think it all it, it, like his writings on you know whatever topic of the day and his access to important places. I think all of that colors my opinion, and I don't know that you know if you asked anyone in my family they would care about that stuff yeah and i was with uh the date book section when he wrote a i remember it as a 58 part series but <laughs> might have been 57 <laughs> i remember it, cr- it just taking up a lot of resources and uh and but editing time anyway a uh, couple filmmaking things sorry to go back to that i thought it was a little bit self-conscious um there are a couple things that i noticed the second time like filming an entire scene and the reflection of the rape whistle that they're carrying around. Um, there's one point where there are a couple of filmmaking choices where they kind of do this phone tree and they turn it into a Brady Bunch thing. Oh, right. And I felt like uh, Dustin Lance Black was in a really great place. He had just written for Big Love. Um, he's this young, talented guy with a lot of energy. And I think we're really lucky we had him because I think Gus Van Sant in a lot of ways maybe was kind of phoning it in and then some of the creative forces, it seems like, shocked him into something better. Um, but there are a couple of filmmaking choices I didn't. What did you think of the death scene where he's looking at the opera house through the window and yes. he had just seen yes. Tosca? That was a little bit over the top. All the opera stuff. Audrey's making a face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think it needed that. You know, it's just, it was... It, it, milked the scene for lack of a better term oh. uh, sorry we i got... mean it's hard to think of a more dramatic scene just as it was as it played out and then i didn't really get why he had to be looking through the window where do you put it in san francisco films 
let's say there are tiers, the best, the second group, the third group. Where do you group this when you think of great San Francisco films? I put it at the the top tier for sure. Okay, with what? Well, I think we should probably talk about what's not on there. But okay, Blue Jasmine. I don't know why we've never talked about Blue Jasmine on this podcast. That has to be on there. Um, Inside Out, which I realize is not a film, but I still maintain counts. And since I've had to see it approximately 50 times in my life, um, I think it should be on there too. I, love- I definitely think Inside Out should be. <laughs> that's with you. That's the mom's the moms. vote. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm the dad vote. I, I'm with you. Inside Out is fantastic, and it's very San Francisco. Very. Yes. Yeah. When they go to Arizmendi and order the broccoli pizza. <laughs> the broccoli pizza. Hey, I saw a pizza place down the street. Maybe we could try that. Pizza sounds delicious. Pizza? pizza. Yes, pizza. Right that's good. What the heck is that? Who puts broccoli on pizza? That's it. I'm done. Congratulations, San Francisco. You've ruined pizza. Pasta Hawaiians. And now you. (laughs) My son has the same reaction to that. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to have you both back for Inside Out. Um, I think the top tier is like conversation. I put Star Trek IV there. I'm sorry, but it's just (laughs) such a... I'm a geek. Um... Inside Out, I'll go with you on that. Dirty Harry, uh, Vertigo, The Birds. This is in my second tier, and I put it right there. It's actually a great double feature with Zodiac. Both films, I think, are flawed in a way, but they're very similar in that they're trying and succeeding in capturing a place and time in San Francisco. And if you're a San Francisco resident, even if you're new here, um, I think that's a great couple of films to see together that captures a spirit that even some of those ones in the top tier don't. The Chronicle double feature. The Chronicle. We double should just feature. have a Chronicle movie list of all of the Chronicle movies. Yeah. That would be good. It was also a reminder of just how crazy the 1970s were here in the city, and it just seemed like something big was happening every week. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot like now. Um, other movies we'd like to see with real life featuring real life San Francisco figures. Oh, I've been thinking about this since you asked. Okay. And the only name that keeps popping at the top of my list is Rose Pack. How can we not have a Rose Pack movie? That would have been so amazing. I just, I mean, I want to see that. Okay. I like that. Rose Pack. Well, you asked us this question yesterday when I was writing about Glide, and it made me think that, that we could definitely use a Cecil Williams, Janice Miracatani movie and the setting of, up of Glide. And yeah, just seeing... but what about The Pursuit of Happiness? It was a Glide movie, right? Wasn't The Pursuit of Happiness when he's, well, he's like in... living in Bart? But didn't, but I mean, didn't he go to? Maybe. Yeah, okay. But he goes and stays at Glide in it. Yeah, Glide's I'm in pretty there. Pretty sure. All yeah. right. This could be you a want sequel more glide. to like a history. Um, going back through uh, the history of the church yesterday, when I was reporting on it and seeing just the clothes that Cecil Williams wore when he founded it in 1963, the costume design would definitely win an Oscar. I want um, Brad Bird has been trying to get an earthquake film off the ground, but I think it's a broad film. Just doing my archive. Which quake? 1906. Okay. Um, and that's a very San Francisco question. Know, sorry. <laughs> Be more specific. There are a couple of like micro stories that I've found in the 1906 quake that I think would make fantastic movies. I'm going to tell you two. Abe w- Ruth. Hmm? Abe Ruth? No? That's okay. three. Well, okay, three. Um, I think what happened with Chinatown is fascinating in the leaders and the political um, 
uh, machinations that went on after Chinatown got burnt out and everybody in town wanted them to relocate outside of San Francisco and their fight to get back and how they were able to get back in Chinatown, I think would be a great story. Um, I think AP Giannini would be great. Um, there's a lot of business leaders. Uh, the, the, the government after 1906 was horrible. It was the business leaders who brought San Francisco back in the short term. But the one I want, and I want to do a story on this, is there is a f- like five houses. It's less than a square block in the middle on Green Street in the middle of the fire zone where a group of people led by a doctor when the fires came in used what little water they had from their boilers and wherever they could find water, wet blankets, and saved their five houses um, through just these miraculous twists and turns. Mm. They basically, while this inferno's going on around them, they saved their five houses. The five houses are still standing. And on top of saving the fire, I'm giving away the third act, the military came in after they saved their houses and said, we have to dynamite your houses to what? make a fire oh, break. Yeah, yeah. after they saved Ness. the houses, to keep it at Van Ness. And they were able to talk the military out of that by plying them with wine. I wow. love these people. They are true San Franciscans. Yeah. They deserve a movie. Yes. So that's my movie. We're going to make that movie with the Chronicle Video Division. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm already casting in my head the military lead. Okay. It has to be The Rock. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, all right, we're winding up, but I wanted to get more SF uh, Cinema Greatest of All Time nominations. What other movies should we have here? Inside Out with the three of us, what are some of your other nominations? And what should we not do, Audrey? Okay, you're baiting me. You just want all, me to get all the hate mail from this. Sister Act, it is a terrible movie. <laughs> what? I'm sorry, but it's terrible. And I will also put Bullet on that list. So so I was telling Peter that I, I, in preparation for this, I decided that I should watch old San Francisco movies that I've never watched. And I was on a flight home, and Bullet was one of the offerings on Alaska Airlines. Wow. So I started to watch it. I fell asleep three times, and it spurred a conversation with the woman next to me, who ended up being Vicki Nguyen from NBC, another an investigative reporter for the NBC station. And we just just talked about what a bad movie that was and then we both changed to watching Riverdale sorry Vicky I just outed you but it was so much better than Bullet okay Vicky is awesome yes I've she is known Vicky back in my parenting blog days she had a blog and she's hilarious in addition to being a very good reporter um I agree with you on Bullet except it has the greatest car chase of all time it's a bad movie with an 11 minute masterpiece of if you stay awake that long. But the good thing the good thing I will say about Bullet is I have never seen photos or, or videos of when the Embarcadero Freeway was up. And yeah. there are a lot of scenes there that I thought were kind of interesting, but the, but then I fell asleep again. <laughs> so not that interesting. Not that interesting. Okay, so Bullet. So I'm agreeing with you on Bullet. Sister Act, I'm sorry. I, I love Sister Act. I'm, I'm touched oh by that Oh my gosh, movie. guys. That is, that is on our list. Tony Bravo has requested Sister Act for induction you know I, I would it's never so say fun. tony has bad taste since he is a style reporter but in this i will say terrible taste <laughs> okay did you cry audrey cooper when whoopi goldberg got the nuns to sing good enough and the people started coming in and they started sitting down and the people came from the streets 
No, no, <laughs> I did not. And not only that, but I realized I didn't realize until rewatching it that this church is in Noe Valley and they make it look like it's in the worst part of Queens ever. <laughs> it's like it's so ridiculous. The very premise that Whoopi Goldberg would be a Reno cocktail lounge singer is absurd. The fact that she can sing and lead this choir of nuns in Noe Valley that's really the ghetto is absurd. And it's just, I, I think it's terrible. Okay, please stop. Now you're making me not like Sister Act. It's a lovely movie. Uh, Heather, you've been staying out of this. Uh, any, any movies you want to nominate? Anything? Um, Inside Out, so I married an axe murderer. Um, that you like? Yes. Okay, I, have what? Two, I have two from your podcasts on yes. San Francisco. Yes, I interviewed all four of the major mayoral candidates and asked all of them in the lightning round a variety of questions that most of them bombed. Um, one of the questions was, what is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? They all seemed confused by the question. Like, what? <laughs> like I wasn't speaking English. But they eventually came up with Mark Leno chose Vertigo. Angela Aliotto chose Bullet, which we all know oh, how you feel yeah. about Angela. that. Audrey. Why. <laughs> that explains. London Breed chose Mrs. Doubtfire, and Jane Kim could not think of one. Okay. She couldn't think of a burrito or a movie. No. no. Hmm. Mark Farrell chose The Rock. Oh, yes. Which was awesome. Um, so... He was not a candidate, obviously, but I did one later when he was mayor and asked him that during the lightning round. And two seconds left, he's like, The Rock! Like, he was adamant. Okay, I think that we should have... I've I've only done this with Chronicle staffers. I think we should have Mark Farrell in to induct The Rock. Yes, he's going to have some time on his hands. Maybe with a screening, (laughs) even. Maybe we can do it live or something like that. I think he, if he's so enthusiastic about The Rock... (laughs) And that, t- that tells me that like he's not looking for higher office because no one looking for higher office would say The Rock. No, they'd say Vertigo. <laughs> vertigo. I mean, that's the that's where you get votes. I have to give a little um, sneak peek at the next episode of On San Francisco, which is not out yet, with Jeff Kaczynski, the head of the homeless department. I asked him what his favorite movie was, and he too could not think of one. And his spokesman was like busy scribbling down an answer and showing him on a notepad. <laughs> he had to give him his own but answer? But he couldn't even read what the scribble said (laughs) it said the rock and he's like what does that say planet of the apes oh my god all right (laughs) well i i want to thank you both for coming on um and uh sister act disagreements aside uh milk i think we've come to the consensus that people should see this film and it's an important san francisco film and uh so and come to city hall and walk up the staircase yeah always take the stairs always take the staircase come to city hall and um Thank you very much. Listen to On San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you, Audrey. Thank you, Heather. Thanks, guys. Darling, it's 2 a.m. It's time for closing. The cops, they're all sideways. And I think Aaron's broken. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to our guests today, Audrey Cooper and Heather Knight. Executive producer is Fernando Diaz, and our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community. Read our columns and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. San Francisco Chronicle podcasts are on iTunes and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.
a suit. I got it from a friend. No, 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 no. You, at any time you come here, I want you to wear the tightest jeans possible. Never blend in and never take the elevator. Always use the stairs. You can make such a grand entrance by taking these stairs. Hello. 